Hey lifers, this is Heather Drew, and this is the Life in the Whirlwind podcast. Today's an exciting day because today is our six-month anniversary, (laughs) you and me. This podcast has been going on for half a year. Today's 26, episode 26, that's 26 weeks worth of life in the whirlwind podcast. It just hit me the other day that this is that episode 26 is half year mark. That's crazy. Um, I can't believe it. So most people thought I couldn't keep this up every week, but somehow it's worked out and I just continue trucking on. And so do you. So thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for your loyalty. Thanks for sticking around and showing up, being part of this lovely thing that brings me so much life, and I hope it brings you life also. So what's interesting is about a week ago or maybe two weeks ago, I started feeling like this podcast was actually getting boring, (laughs) repetitive. I think I mentioned that in the last episode. I'm just, again, like I really try to keep this as real as possible And I tend to talk about whatever I'm learning about in my own life or what people are kind of talking with me about. But I also feel like I was getting in my head a little bit, like it was getting to my head that I felt like it was being repetitive. I felt like I was being repetitive. I felt like the subject was repetitive. Um, But I, I, I got really stuck in my thoughts about this. Like I was worrying about it. I was feeling self-conscious about it, that kind of thing. And I really want it to be good, not because I feel like I'm a better person if it's good, but that I really want to serve you all and give you something that's helpful. So anyway, I got in my head about it. I noticed that I got in my head about it. And here's what I decided to do with that. Um, I decided to create a podcast on that phenomenon an episode on that phenomenon. And I think that I, as I observed this and as I talked to my spiritual director about this, just sort of what I was experiencing, she even noticed um, that I was really in my head and that there was a stark contrast between living in my head, like sort of trying to be cerebral about something or like thoughtful in my mind cognitive about something like thinking through things and the way that I am when I'm not doing that and how different that is and how that's such a specific contrast. So here's, here's where we're going to go with this. Today's episode is going to be called lizard versus human. sounds like a Japanese (laughs) movie or something, right? Like Godzilla lizard versus human should be neon lights and, you know, treacherous, narrator language. <laughs> oh, my daughter could do a really good job of that. Anyway. So, have you ever noticed yourself living out of a sense of deficit? Have you ever noticed, you know, I've talked about this before like self, poverty of self, living out of scarcity. Um I think we all do this, right? We all live out of a sense of deficit in some ways or at periods of time. And have you ever considered where this comes from? 
like, where does this feeling come from? Like, this is what I was experiencing last week. I was feeling like something was lacking, something was deficient, and I wanted to fill the space. Like, I wanted to fill the deficit and clean it up, right? So when I think about where this comes from, this sense of deficit, it led me to this question. Is this even accurate? Or is this just something that has been constructed by society or whatever? So I want to read you two things today from the Bible. I have the actual, my actual Bible here. Here are the pages. Those are like paper pages. Can you believe it? I'm not using a phone. How shocking. Um, I'm going to read you. I'm also holding my microphone, so this is a little complicated here. Um, I'm going to read you. I'm kind of a Bible freak. I love it. I'm junkie. I love scripture. I love all of it, pretty much. I mean, I don't love all all that it says, It's, but I like reading it. I like wrestling with it, and I like enjoying it for all that it is and whatever it is. So I'm going to read to you first the in the first chapter on page one of the Bible which is um, the Jewish scriptures, is the account of creation according to the Judeo-Christian history. I'm not going to read word for word, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it says. So basically, the way it begins is it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty and... darkness covered up the waters. There were deep waters and darkness covered them. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. That's how it all begins. So it's this picture of darkness and it's this picture of void and deficit, right? Of nothingness, of emptiness, of formlessness, chaos, all these things. That's the picture that we begin with. That's literally the first sentence in the Bible. Then... The next one says, the next section says, (coughs) sorry, I have a frog in my throat. The next sentence says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then he separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day and he called the darkness night. And that was the first day. And then God said, let there be space between the waters to separate the waters from the heaven Uh, and the earth. So basically he created atmosphere, right? So he separated the waters from the earth and the earth and the air and the heavens and all that. And he called that space sky. Then uh, God created, he says, let there, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place, the ocean, right? Um, So that dry ground may appear. So basically he's separating the land from the water. And he saw that it was good. That's what it usually says. In the creation poem, he always taught he always creates something and then he says it's good. Always. That's his thing. That's what he does. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed bearing plant and tree that trees that grow seed bearing fruit. 
these seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. So basically, he's creating this situation where there's a ton of vegetation, there's plants, there's trees, there's fruit, and everything is self-perpetuating, right? We know this about the earth, about fruit and seeds and trees and plants, that they don't end there. They keep generating more plants and trees and vegetables and fruits, right? So that's when he did that's what he did. He created that. This generative fruiting, literally fruitful, that's what the word means. Fruitful it means it keeps going. It's a self-perpetuating life cycle. And then God saw that it was good. And then that marked the third day. Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. And so basically, this looks like he creates the sun and the moon. The sun to rule the day and the moon to rule the night. And then he saw that it was good. See a pattern here. And then he says, uh, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. Let the waters swarm with fish. Swarm. Not like plop a fish here and there. Let the waters swarm, teem with fish. Let the skies teem, be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird each producing offspring of the same kind. Again, just more generative, like fruitful, self-perpetuating life, right? It's incredible. Tons of fish, tons of birds. Then God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish abundantly fill the sky, the seas, and the birds multiply on the earth. And then he called it good. And then God says, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring. So he creates land animals, mammals, um, anything that lives on land he creates in this point, at this point. And then he says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And they will reign over, they will take care of, they will tend to the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the animals on the ground, on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in God's image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it and reign over the fish and the sea and the blah, 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 blah. It goes on and on. He's creating this whole picture of abundance. He's creating this whole picture of self-generating, self-regenerating, self-perpetuating life. And he calls it good. And he calls it very good. The human beings he calls very good. And then he takes a rest. So that's the story of Genesis 1. I don't know if you've ever read that. Even if you've read that, maybe you can hear it slightly differently this time. Just this picture of lavish abundance. Um, you know, in, in episode, I don't remember what episode it was. It was back in April, I think. 
March or April, I did this episode on original goodness. And here's this picture of original abundance. This is God's original abundance. He just creates this incredible amount of life and self-perpetuating life, right? So there's that. That's the first thing I wanted to read to you. The second thing I wanted to read to you is from the New Testament, which is a different part of the Bible. This is part this is more modern, closer to our time. And this is when Jesus was alive. And uh Jesus, man oh man, he liked to puzzle people. He liked to speak in these things called parables, these stories that were sort of puzzling and mysterious and riddly type things, not to confuse people, but to sort of explain that life is not what we think it is. And he's very, uh, he likes to hold us upside down by our ankles with these stories and gives a little shaky, shaky, not to harm us, to enter into a something larger, into like a larger mind, go beyond our own minds, the, the way we've constructed things and the way they've been constructed for us. So he speaks in parables. I'm going to read you one of those. This is called, I, I forget what this is called exactly. It's like this um, parable about workers in a vineyard. And this is from Matthew 20. If you're looking in the Bible, this is Matthew 20. Here we go. I'm going to read this. It's not too long. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, which by the way, he, I'm going to pause for a second. The kingdom of heaven, he, he talks a lot about this. Like he explains this a lot. The kingdom of heaven is not like earthly kingdom. It's something completely different. And that's kind of what he's trying to say here. So he's trying to explain to people, the people who follow him and love him, what this kingdom is like, like what his greater mind, this greater existence is exactly, or what it's like. And he only can rely on human metaphor because that's what we've got. So he's tapping into our, our understandings and our, our constructs. Okay. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing, you can kind of picture this, like you know, if you've ever been to a place where there's like migrant workers in a parking lot, this is very common. This is like they stand out there and wait for work in the morning. So this lab- this landowner goes and hires laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them to his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, <laughs> the parking lot. And he said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is fair. So they went and when they went out again, and when he went out again about noon, and then he went out about three o'clock, he did the exact same thing. Then at about five o'clock, he went out and he found others standing around. And he says to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us kind of like a no-duh situation. Like, um, we're standing here because no one has hired us, obviously. He said to them, go to my vineyard also. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. 
So he basically, you see this, like you can picture this line of people who he's hired all day long at different hours. And he starts with the people that he hired at five o'clock. And then he goes to three o'clock and then he goes to noon and then he goes to nine and then he goes to early six. That's what's going on here, right? So they're all standing in line. Here we go. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. When the first came, they thought that they were going to receive more, but each of them also received the usual fair daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat, right? Like, this makes sense to our human brains. Like, our, our American brains are like, dude, that's not fair. That's not cool. Um, we worked all day long, like, sweated, you know, suffered, worked all day. Huge burden, and you're giving these people the same pay as us? Totally unfair. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. You did not agree with, did you not agree with me for the usual fair daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? Oh my gosh. I just, I like, I I get chills every time I read this. That is such a buster comment. Like, I love that. Jesus is so, he's telling this story. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? Oh my, my, um, yeah. What does this all have to do with lizards versus humans? You may be wondering. I'm going to come back to this story in a second, but I want to talk to you about what lizards versus humans means. We all have these primal brains, these primal parts of our brain Uh, which is we call the lizard brain a lot of scientists evolutionary scientists stuff like that we call this the lizard brain it's the survival state it's this part of us that operates at a very primal level it keeps us alive it keeps us running from danger when there's danger it's on alert when there's danger it's where the fight flight or freeze mechanism of our lives lives. And what are the behaviors that accompany that? It's sort of, you know, survival mechanisms. It's hoarding, it's running, it's fleeing, it's climbing, it's surviving. It's whatever it takes to survive. So hoarding food, if, you know, like squirrels collect nuts in their tree holes (laughs) all summer long, to prepare for winter so that they have enough in the winter. It's, it's kind of shrewd. It's important, right? But there's a sort of sense of clamping down, a sort of clenching, a holding on. My hamster totally does this. Willow, our hamster, who I love. She's a Chinese dwarf hamster, really the cutest animal that has ever lived, our hamster. And she, I noticed that all winter long, she was 
really dormant, really chill. She was just like a very slow moving hamster. And then as soon as it started getting warm out, like right today, it's really warm. It's like in the nineties today I fed her and she took all of her pellets, which are these like things with all this nutrition. She takes these giant things that are the size of her head, picks them up in her teeth and carries them into her little burrow. And she's taking them one by one out of her dish and (laughs) hiding them in her burrow. Like one of us is going to steal them. You can't turn off the lizard brain. You can't turn off the hamster brain. It's there. It's good. It's well made. It's there for a reason. It's supposed to be there. It's, we want it to work. If a bear is chasing us, we want it to work. If, you know, we're fleeing something dangerous. However, we are not hamsters and we are not lizards. And we have a different part of us that is also available. The lizard brain, when the lizard brain is working, the dominating structure, the dominating framework is scarcity. There's not enough of this for me. There's not enough for me. Or I'm not enough. Or this isn't fair. Or whatever it is, right? It's this um, scarcity narrative, right? In this uh, book that I've been reading, which is really, really lovely, it's a very powerful book. It's called The Wisdom Jesus by Cynthia Bourjolt. She is a mindful, lovely, contemplative, uh, mystical Christian, (laughs) I guess you could say. That's one of the many things she is. But uh, I'm reading this book by her, and she talks about this parable of the landowner, the generous landowner that I just read. And she says this, this is a quote from her book on page 39. It says, uh, the binary mind, which is the lizard mind. It's like this versus this. It's like better or worse, more or less first or last, right? The binary mind always perceives from a sense of scarcity and it keeps track of the score through comparison and contrast. If the, if the situation looks unfair to you, this is an infallible litmus test that you are still in the binary mind, right? So we're, basically what she's saying is we're living out of this lizard brain. If we look, we hear this story, and of course we're like, we're built to believe. Holy cow, this is so unfair. Like what about those poor guys who were hired at 6 a.m. and they've been toiling all day long, they deserve more, right? Like what is a whole other subject, a whole other episode needs to be done on what is deserve. I've been thinking so much about that lately. So we're going to come back to that later. Maybe that's part two of this. So this dominating belief is scarcity that we compare and contrast. This person has more than me. This person has less than me. And this is a very primal way of thinking. And it's not a bad, don't hear me say this is a bad way of thinking. It is important. It is in fact crucial that we have this part of us at at play. However, it is not where we stop. And as human beings, you know, God, in in this Genesis 1 passage that I read of the creation poem, he's doing all this creating and he's creating all the animals first and he's creating the plants and he's creating the light and the darkness and the air and the blah, 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 all these things. And then he creates human beings 
And it's kind of like he takes it up a notch. Even the way it's worded, he's taking it up a notch with the human beings. He's something's special about them. Something's different. And I think we've talked about this in another episode. There are pros and cons to this, obviously. There are benefits and hindrances, barriers to this. One of them is that we have this lizard brain also, and that we can easily live out of that. However, one of the great benefits is that he has taken it up a notch when he created us, and that we have capacity for flourishing in abundance. We have the capacity to live beyond scarcity, beyond perpetual nut collection and hoarding. We have that capacity. And um, we also have in this, there's sort of this allusion to a transactional approach to God, like, hey, I got hired at six. I want more money. That's a transaction, right? And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, you agreed at the beginning of the day that you would work for this wage and this that this, you said this was fair and this is what I'm going to pay you and this is my money. And um, yeah, that's it. You know, they're operating from this transactional approach. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is different. What it means to be truly human, and that's really what the kingdom of God is all about, is it's this invitation to an existence of being truly human, to flourish in a story of abundance that has way surpassed, far surpassed the lizard brain. It's living with trust in this Genesis 1 picture, this abundance Here's another thing that Cynthia, Cynthia Bourgeault says about this passage um, in Matthew 20. She says, when you approach this story from the perspective of fullness, you see that there's enough for everybody, that the good of everybody has been tended, and that all along it had never been a question of competition, but an invitation to participation and exchange. Jesus is out to completely short-circuit our mental wiring so that we are catapulted into a whole new way of seeing and being. Ooh, that makes me so happy. I have to tell you a little, so here's a little funny story. On my desk at my, the school at my at BTS Graduate School of Counseling where I work, I have a bottle of maple syrup. Those of you who have seen this bottle of maple syrup are now going to find out why it's there. <laughs> because I don't think anybody knows. Only maybe one or two people know this. But I have this bottle of syrup because I, like you, like we are talking about, often operate out of a belief of scarcity, a narrative of scarcity of myself. Like there's not enough for me. And when I, a couple of years ago, I was working through a lot of this in my life, a lot of this narrative of scarcity. And not just for my sake, but for the sake of those who I invite <laughs> out of scarcity, I wanted to say, hey, I've tried this and I'm doing this too. We're together, right? 
so I'm working, th- I was, you know, a couple years ago, I'm, I was working through this, like doing a really deep work, trying to pull myself out of this scarcity narrative. And a few of my friends were walking through this with me and, um, we sort of together as I was processing this on a retreat that we were on together, we sort of came up with this image. I I gave them this image that I have of sitting at a feast. And this is where my showing up at the table narrative, like narrative metaphor comes from, by the way. Um, that's another episode back, um, showing up to the table, something about the table. (laughs) I don't know. Go back, go back in time and listen. It's great. Um, but it's this like feast table where we can show up and we get to feast. We get to like take part in the lavish abundance that has been laid out before us. And there are also rules at the table. Like you have to show up, like you have to come to the table and, and the point of being there is to enjoy what's before you and to express gratitude to the feast giver. Um, live out of this, not a sense of scarcity, but a sense of the incredible lavishness that's in front of you, right? That's what the table's all about. So this maple syrup, um, at my feast, for whatever reason, there's a lot of reasons that I won't go into, but because of past stories and things that have happened that connect to this story for me, um, I often have this like pancake feast situation in my mind, in my image, (laughs) in my my image of the table. There's always pancakes and maple syrup flowing abundantly. I think maple syrup is like the ultimate picture of lavish abundance, (laughs) right? It's like sweet sugar yumminess that comes from trees. What, how much better does it get than that? Um, so I have a, a, bottle of pure maple syrup on my desk so that on those days when I am just totally living out of scarcity, when I'm just living out of these, like all the externals are screaming at me that I'm not enough and that there's not enough for me. I look at this bottle of syrup and I remember it's sort of like this token reminder, Hey, there's enough for you. And look at all this syrup. It's all yours. And it's gooey and it's sweet and it came from a tree and it's beautiful and there's enough for you. So anyway, that's why I have a bottle of maple syrup on my desk. Now, you know, people who I work with (laughs) and always wonder what that is. It's not just my emergency bottle of syrup. It's a something else. It's a, it's an image. So there we go. Some of, some of you may be thinking, I imagine Yeah, but this is all well and good, but I have needs that aren't met. I, you know, what about food scarcity? What about um, food insecurity in the United States even? People are food insecure even in the United States, this place of ridiculous abundance. And the haves have and the have-nots have not. You know, what's what about that? Or what about my emotional needs that aren't met? Come on, Heather, like there is actual scarcity in the world, right? I hear you. I totally hear you. I've been thinking about this. I considered this and I don't have an answer for this. However, I have a question for you. (laughs) What if the belief that we have in scarcity 
this buying into it as truth or this recognition of it? What if that belief is the only thing that actually creates scarcity? What if it's like this thing that we think into existence and then our behaviors follow? I can tell you there is, I, I am aware of the poverty state of even the United States. I've been around the globe. I have seen children selling bags of flour on the streets of Lebanon. Um, I am not unaware of the incredible state of scarcity and poverty in this world and in this country and in this neighborhood. It's there. I get it. However, I would say that part of the world that we live in is it's a part of a whole where some who live in that state of scarcity hoard wealth for themselves or collect things and do not give to those who need. So I'm not here to blame or accuse or point fingers. That is not what I'm trying to get at here. That's actually the opposite of what I'm trying to get at here. I believe that the kingdom of God, as Jesus calls this um, in this this parable, the state of being that is completely different that Jesus is trying to catapult us into called the kingdom of God is a kingdom of abundance for everyone. It is not compare and contrast. It's not some get more, some get less. Because here's the picture of this generous landowner. Is that people at 6 a.m. get the same as people at 5 p.m. Because there's always enough. So here's my question. (laughs) What might be available to us, all of us, not the me, not the I, there's no I in the kingdom of God. There's no singular self. There's no individual self. It's all a network of abundance. What might be available to us that we are not giving ourselves permission to take part in or, and, or that we are not giving others the gift of taking part in? Because we're so focused on scarcity, because we're so busy comparing our situations to somebody else's and feeling like we're not enough or that we don't have enough. What would our lives explode into if we actually lived out of the the maple syrup jar? Like we lived out of this place of there's always enough. There's always a generous creator, divine kingdom holder that loves us so deeply and is so interested in lavishing us with abundant gifts and love and a network of experience of abundance. Uh, These workers are such a picture of this world that we live in because um, they could operate as a whole. Like they could, they could see each other and sort of be like grateful. Wow. You know, these, these, 
6 a.m. guys could look at the 5 p.m. guys and be like, wow, these are my brothers. I'm so grateful that they have work too. That's really hard to be grateful instead of jealous. But this this line continues to haunt me in a in a way that I feel um, deserves a lot more exploration and contemplation. This this last line of this parable: Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or are you envious because I am generous? We have a generous maker, giver, holder capital G, gluer. (laughs) Um, He's very generous. That's evident from page one of the scripture that tells us about him. So here's my invitation to you today, my friends. Remember my whole, I am the mountain thing that I talk about a lot. You know, I'm the mountain. Everything else is just weather. We easily get trapped in the weather. We easily get trapped in what is happening around us that we can perceive and observe. Um, But we are the seer. It's not the weather that is us. It is we are the mountain. We are observing the weather. And though the externals are screaming at us, you are not enough or you will not have enough or you will not be given what you need. Look how much you lack. All of these externals are just screaming at us all the time. What is this person going to think about me? What does this person already think about me? Is she going to get mad at me? Am I going to feel crappy after I experience, you know, whatever it is, it's all this scarcity, right? Even when the externals are screaming, go back to the internal truth of Genesis 1 of the generous, wealthy landowner. God is about abundance. He is about fertility and feasts and generosity and generativeness and self-perpetuating goodness. So step out of your belief and embodiment of not enoughness and try to replace it this week with something that is much truer of you, an image and a reality that is far more accurate and live out of that. And if it feels really hard, that must mean you're doing it correctly and it's okay to fake it till you make it, (laughs) by the way. My blessing to you this week is this. There is a lavish feast in front of you. Take it and eat it. Be part of it. Show up at it. Enjoy it. It's for you. It's for us. And there's a million different analogies. There's a deep and wide well. Drink deeply. And let yourself be satisfied. Give yourself permission to drink, to eat, to partake in the lavish abundance of the divine. And happy six-month anniversary, my friends. See you next week.